Hi, this is Pastor Curtis. I want to thank you for checking out the Family Church Podcast. I hope it encourages you and inspires you to take your next step of faith. You can find out more about how to do that at our website, familychurch.xyz. And if you know a friend who needs to hear this message, please forward it on to them. I hope you enjoy the message. My name is Kyle, and I get the privilege to serve here at Family Church alongside my dad, Pastor Curtis, and so many other great leaders on the team. Uh, And this morning, I have the privilege to share the message. Uh, Dad has taken the week off, and uh, in a series of rest, he's modeling a little bit of rest. And uh, the truth is, Dad is kind of like Nolan Ryan. He's got these pitches, he can throw heat, he can throw a curve, and he can pitch seven, eight, nine innings, and he can go out there week after week. And I'm kind of like Mariana Rivera. At the closer who comes in, and I got one pitch, but I'm going to throw it once every few months to see if I can get a few strikeouts. And so I'm sharing the message today. And that was the only sports reference that I have. But it is Father's Day, so I might have to throw in a few more sports references into the message. But I do want to say special happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Make sure you pick up your gift as you head out. Make sure you take your family photo. And we are so thankful that you chose to spend part of your Father's Day here with us at Family Church. It was two years ago on Father's Day, June 2020, that we reopened our doors after COVID and held our first in-person services after the pandemic shutdown. And as I reflect back to what God has done in the past two years since reopening after COVID, I stand in awe and I say, we are living in a miracle in motion. We're living in a miracle in motion. We think about, we think about the lives changed, the day of salvation that has come time and time again. We think about how each and every week people that have not set foot in church, they're reconsidering and they're coming to churches. We have new visitors each and every Sunday. I think about people activating their faith by serving and giving back. And I just say, let us not forget, let us not take for granted the miracle in motion that we're in and the hand of God's Holy Spirit that is with us, that is making way, that is bringing the day of salvation, that is bringing his blessing upon it. And it is just amazing to be a part of. And it is a great honor to to share the message this morning. As always, you can find sermon notes at the website at familychurch.xyz slash notes. And we're in a series called Morning, Noon, and Night. It's about the rhythms of our life and the pace of grace. Because the truth is you can live your life the world's way or you can live your life God's way. And the truth is I stand up here as someone who has tried to live my life my way in just about every area. When it came to my money, I tried to do things my way. When it came to my time, I tried to do things my way. When it came to the things that I pursued, I tried to do things my way. And it left me broke, heartbroken, lonely, anxious, and really, really in a sad, desperate place. And I turned, and I started to do things God way. And did you know that when we do things God way, that God has a way of redeeming us, redeeming our time, redeeming our lives, renewing us, renewing our mind, renewing our body, removing our soul, renewing our spirit. We serve a God of restoration, renewal, and redemption. And I'm so thankful, so thankful to serve a God that can, that can bring all of that into our lives, even though we don't deserve it. The world runs at a pace that is, frankly, frantic, hurried, busy, and rushed. And God's way of doing life is with rhythms of work and rest. Our, our cornerstone verse for this morning is Psalm 127, verse 2. The psalmist says, It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat. For God 
gives rest to his loved ones. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time together, and we ask that you will speak to us whatever you want to say, Father. We want to look to you and learn from you. So thank you for your presence, and thank you for speaking to us and changing us. In Jesus' name, amen. Choose to rest. Choose to take a real rest God's way. We are stressed. We are stressed. We live in a society that is stressed. I contemplated sharing some statistics about stress with you, but I really think looking at all those stats about stress would stress us out even more. We are stressed because we are so busy, and because we are so busy, we are tired. We are tired, but we don't know how to rest. What are we stressed about? We're stressed about gas prices. We're stressed about inflation. We're stressed about our problems. We're stressed about the future. We're stressed about uh, the war in Ukraine. We're stressed about all these things that are thrown our way, the stock market and crypto crashing. And the truth is that stress is contagious. In fact, the age demographic that has experienced the highest increase in the level of stress is eight to 14-year-olds because they live in a world where they feel the stress radiating off of the world, off of the news, off of the people in their life, and they are becoming more stressed and anxious because stress is contagious. One area of life connected to our stress is work. Over the years, we've gone from a 40-hour work week to a 47-hour work week, and so many of us are overworked, and so we're busy. And we've let busy become part of our identity, In fact, you've probably asked someone, or maybe you've even replied when someone says, how are you doing? Good, I'm just busy. And the truth is, whenever you speak something over your life, you say, I am, and you declare, I am busy, you're actually giving power to that. And we say, I'm busy, and it becomes a label, it becomes part of our identity, and we internalize it, and we always are busy. We're tired, we're exhausted, and we're seeing an epidemic of burnout, A recent study shows 77% of people say they are experiencing burnout in some area of their life. Usually it's connected to work, but honestly, it's so all-encompassing to each area of our life because our lives are not compartmentalized like sometimes we try and keep them separated. Here's the definition of burnout. Burnout is a form of exhaustion caused by constantly feeling swamped. It's a result of excessive and prolonged emotional physical, and mental stress. Burnout happens when you're overwhelmed, emotionally drained, and unable to keep up with life's incessant demands. We're experiencing a pandemic or an epidemic, sorry, I should say, of burnout. In my own season of life, I faced a season of burnout, and it was honestly related to me being overworked. I was working teaching in the classroom. I had another part-time job teaching virtual school. I was doing some ministry work. I was doing some coaching. I was trying to raise my kids. I was trying to be a good husband. And I never shut off because email can go with you anywhere you'll let it. And grading assignments can go with you anywhere you'll let it. And there was always something to do. There was always an email to respond to. There was always an assignment to grade. There was always work to do. And I never shut off. And here's the truth about work. If you always do something, if you always work those hours, If you always do that, you're going to be able to think, well, I can just continue to do this because I've always done it. And that is not true (laughs) because eventually you will hit a wall if you don't rest. And that's what happened to me. So as I 
hit this wall, my body start to shut down. One of the very basic things I would do as a teacher is I would stand at the door and I would greet students into my classroom as they would come in by name, right? Hey, Gracie. Good morning, Alex. Hey, Addie. And in my season of burnout, I couldn't stand by the door in that five-minute passing period and greet them by name. I went over to my computer chair and I would sit and I would just wait. And when the bell would ring, I would stand up and I would teach the lesson because I didn't have any energy to do anything extra. I would come home and my kids would want to play and I would say, I can't go outside. I don't have the energy to go outside right now. Let's read a book. So I sit on the couch and they would come and read a book and we would sit down to read a book and they would open up the pages and I couldn't read the words on the page because I didn't have any energy left to do it. Here's seven signs of burnout. Number one, your motivation has faded. Things that used to motivate you and energize you, they don't anymore. Number two, your main emotion is numb. You no longer feel the highs and lows of life. We don't always like the highs and lows, but let's be honest, that's how God made us. We are emotional creatures. We experience highs and lows, and it's healthy to verbalize those and express those. But when you hit a certain season of burnout, you become numb. Number three, people drain you. Number four, little things affect you disproportionately. Have you ever seen a full trash can and you see someone go over to the trash can and you think, oh, they're gonna put that in there and what they have and they're gonna take out the trash can. But instead of doing it, they push it down so that it's not full anymore and they leave the trash can there. It's a little thing, but have you ever had something little disproportionately affect you? And if someone says, did you overreact? Well, that sets you off even more. You're becoming cynical. Instead of, if you're a Jesus follower, you know we're called to love, but instead of loving people, sometimes we become cynical and short and sharp with others. You're self-medicating. Lastly, you don't laugh much anymore. Seven signs of burnout. The good news is there is a cure and there is treatment for burnout, especially when you catch the symptoms early on and you make adjustments to the rhythms of your life. And these come from doing things the world's way, where the world says you need to strive, you need to press, you need to chase, you need to hustle, you need to grind, no days off, no sleep. And God says, well, I have a way of doing things that's better. Our verse, Psalm 127, verse two, it is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for, I wanna take away a food to eat and I want you to fill in the blank with what you may be anxiously working for. Anxiously working for the dream house. Anxiously working for to stay middle class. Anxiously working for my father's approval. Anxiously working for that vacation. Anxiously working for whatever we're anxiously working for. The psalmist says, that's, that's useless. It's not what it's about. It's gonna be chasing the wind. You will never arrive. But God doesn't give us what we're chasing. What does God do? He gives rest. God gives rest to his loved ones. That picture of rest is a picture of contentment. It's a picture of peace, which the world doesn't provide anywhere. We're gonna read some verses in Hebrews as we dig in a little bit deeper on what it looks like to rest God's way. Hebrews chapter four, verse one, God's promise of entering his rest still stands. 
So God has a promise for us and is to enter his rest. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. The, the author of Hebrews is telling us God has a promise for us, but we need to be careful. We need to be cautious because some might fail to experience it. As if there is a way that we can live life where we will miss it. We will miss God's best for us. And sometimes we miss it because we look for rest in the wrong places. And I have three ways that we look for rest in the wrong places. Number one, a takeaway we need to understand is that rest is deeper than sleep. Rest is deeper than sleep. Now, I will say that sleep is important. In fact, for many of you, if you are experiencing some signs of burnout, more sleep might be exactly what you need. And I highly encourage, take some steps to get more sleep and better sleep. One thing that I did that helped me in my season was I no longer sleep with my cell phone in the same room. I keep my cell phone in a different room because at night, it's usually the last thing that you look at before you go to bed. It's the first thing you look at when you wake up in the morning. And sometimes if you wake up in the middle of the night, you might be tempted to just check it and see what time it is. So I sleep with my cell phone in a different room. You're like, well, Kyle, what about your alarm clock? I got an old school alarm clock for $8 on Amazon. You can do it too. Lauren says it beeps too loud, but it still gets the job done. So sleep is important. And if you are not getting enough sleep, it is critical that you try to change some habits to get more sleep. But rest is deeper than sleep. Now, I, I, I like to view things and I think you, the more you follow God, a lot of things can be worshiped, but sleep can actually be a form of worship because when you fall asleep, what are you declaring? You are declaring, I'm not in control. I'm not all powerful. I need to shut down. I need to turn off. God, you are in control. When I sleep, my heart's still gonna beat because you're making it beat. I'm still gonna breathe because you're the breath of my lungs. You're gonna hold the whole world in your hands while I turn off because I am not all powerful and you are. God made us as creatures that we are not all powerful. We're not all knowing. We have to shut down each and every day. It's a reminder that we're not all powerful, but God is. But there is something that sleep is missing because rest is deeper than sleep because rest is great for our mind and our body, but God has a rest that's rest for our soul. And to have that full peace from anxiety that God has for us, it is more it is more, it's deeper than sleep. Number two, rest is more than time off. We all look forward to having time off. In fact, so many of us, we look forward to the weekend because on the weekend, we get time off from work. So we look forward to Friday afternoon, TGIF. We're glad that Friday's here. But sometimes our weekends are just as busy as our weekdays. And sometimes we pack our weekends so full of scheduled activities that we get to Sunday evening and we're more tired than we were on Friday afternoon. And then we gotta wake up Monday morning and do it all over again. So we don't need a weekend, what do we need? We need a vacation, that's right, we gotta get a vacation. We gotta book the vacation. We gotta get a week-long vacation. We gotta get away. But have you ever came back from a vacation? You need another vacation before you go back to work, back to reality. Now, I'm not criticizing vacations, and summer is a great time to take vacations, and I hope you do. But what I am saying is rest is more than time off. It's more than that vacation. God's rest is more than a vacation. And the truth is, once you have kids, vacations don't exist anymore. You get family trips, and you're happy with that family trip. But a vacation... So rest is deeper than sleep. It's more than just time off, and it's better than escape. Rest is better than escape. And I want to lean into this one a little bit because we have 
a problem with escapism in our culture today. Because we're so stressed out, because we're so high-strung, because we're so busy and anxious, people are looking for any escape, a hack, a quick way to feel some of the pressure released that mounts on our shoulders and in our minds. And the definition of escapism, it's the intentional detachment from the real world just to escape our lives. Can I be honest with you? This is one of the reasons why we have an, an opioid crisis in our country, because people need an escape from the pain that mounts. They don't know how to deal with it, and it's an easy escape. This is one of the factors in alcoholism, because it's that escape from the pain, that pressure that closes in on us. The truth is, this is why pornography is so prevalent. There is an aspect of pornography that is lust, but there is an aspect of pornography that is related to stress. In fact, one of the triggers for people to give into that temptation is they feel stressed out. And so we have these escapes that we look to, and we justify it in our mind, we're thinking, well, like, I just need to, like, I just need a short break. This, this isn't even really me. Like, this, I know I gotta come back to reality, but I gotta, man, I'm so stressed out. I need something to just, like, calm me down. And so we have these escapisms that people get worn down. And escapism, it promises a lot but it delivers very little. Promises a lot, but it delivers very little. There's other escapes that are maybe not so obvious, maybe not so harmful or taboo. It may be a a binging service of of streaming a show. It may be uh, pulling out your phone. Have you ever noticed like in a wait, what, what do people do in a waiting room now? They still have the magazines in the waiting room, but they're like five years old because we don't read the magazines anymore. We just pull out and look at our phones. Or at a sit-down restaurant, kids get the tablet, parents on their phones. Or in an elevator, pull out our phone. Or at a stoplight, pull out our phone. Now, I'm not saying you can't check your phone at those times. What I am saying is we use our phones as an escape because it's easier than being alone with our thoughts. I don't want to be alone with my thoughts. That's a dangerous neighborhood to go in by myself. It could be overworking. It could be pouring ourselves into a project where there's a reward at the end of that, satisfaction. But if you're using that positive thing as an escape, that's an unhealthy rhythm of life. And so many of us, we struggle with escapism because it promises a lot and it delivers so little. And so we look to something that can never truly satisfy. And to be candid, so many people go through seasons of life. They go from escape to escape to escape to escape, looking behind doors, looking for something to fulfill, looking for something to satisfy, when none of them will. It's only a relationship with Jesus that they're truly looking for. A real rest. God has a real rest for us. That's more than an escape, and it's more than time off, and it's deeper than sleep. That's the rest that God has for us. And so many of us, our minds are full because our schedules are so busy and we overextend ourselves. I was in a season where I was coaching three sports. I was teaching and I was coaching three sports and basketball is a long season. When you coach high school basketball, you have games more than one night a week. And uh, when you coach high school basketball, there's three games each night, right? You got the freshman, the JV and the varsity game. And so I was coaching high school basketball, starts before Thanksgiving, goes into March. And Lauren was working, but she was also home with the, the kids. And I remember one Friday night, I came home late, right? After all of the basketball games, 
After talking with the coaches, after all the locker room, right, I come into the garage and I open up the garage door and I come to the house and I'm surprised that Lauren is still up and she wants to talk. And I think, I think I need to go watch some film and hang out with the coaches a little bit longer. And Lauren says, I need your help. And I said, I am helping. I'm providing. Why do you think I work so hard? So that we can have the house, so that we can pay for the bills. Like, that's what I'm out here doing. I'm not out here having fun. I'm out here working for the family. And she said, I need you at home. I need you. The kids need you. And I said, I have the summers off. I will be here in the summer. Now, am I going to have basketball camp? Sure. But right, what am I doing? I'm justifying, I'm deflecting, and I'm trying to do things my way. Over a season of life, Lauren and I realized that we needed to reprioritize, that we had both overextended ourselves. We had both became uh, really workaholics. And workaholic, it's one of those addictions that rewards you because what do you get? You get more pay, right? You get a pat on the back from your boss that you're doing a good job. And so it's easy to slip into overworking. And we had to decide that what's really, what's really important to us and why are we working really? And so we readjusted some priorities and we, we came up with a saying that was a guiding principle for us to help us make decisions. And the saying was this, it was, No for now, but not forever. No for now, but not forever. Opportunities would come along, invitations would come along, and we would have to say, no for now, but not forever. It's not a, I'm never gonna go golfing, right? It's not a, it's that weekend getaway is never gonna happen. It's right now, there's something more important. And that is the family time that we need to prioritize. Not too long after that, I got an invitation to visit Mount Vernon in uh, Virginia, right? George Washington's uh, plantation, his estate, the museum there. And this was an all-expenses-paid history teacher symposium where you get unlimited access to Mount Vernon. I'm talking anything that George Washington has ever had, right? It's all right there at Mount Vernon. And the tourists can't be there. It's just you, and you get to be there with other history teachers to learn, explore, and discover about George Washington. You guys don't seem geeked out about this like I was. (laughs) And I had to say no to those four days, three nights at Mount Vernon. No for now, but not forever. I haven't been to Mount Vernon yet. I might go one day. But I said no because what was most important to me in that season? I didn't need to be away from my kids for four days and three nights. Lauren didn't need to take care of the kids by herself for four days and three nights. It was reprioritizing. And it looked like saying no for now, but not forever. I want to look at three ways as we wrap up that God has given us a real rest and what that looks like. And Jesus describes this real rest in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28, 29, and 30. Jesus, and this is reading from the message, Jesus says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover. You'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Did you know that when Jesus was on earth, he had a big mission, right? (laughs) He knew what he was gonna do, but everywhere Jesus went, he walked. The Bible never tells us a time, an instance of Jesus running. He could have ridden a chariot or a horse. He never rode a horse or a chariot that we know of. He rode an animal one time. What was it? 
a donkey. He rode a donkey one time on Palm Sunday because Jesus didn't give in to what the world says, rush, hurry, be busy, be frantic, achieve, strive. Jesus walked everywhere he went and he was in the moment with his disciples, with the people who approached him. Three ways to choose the real rest God has for you. Number one is we rest in salvation. We rest in salvation. Salvation is a free gift. It's a free gift. That almost is redundant, right? If, if, it, if it's a gift, isn't it? Shouldn't it be implied that it's free? But the Bible tells us, right? Paul tells us it's a free gift. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And God gives it to us. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that what did he do? He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish, but would have eternal life. So salvation is a free gift. And sometimes when something is free, what do we feel the need to do? Repay, right? Someone gives you a gift for your birthday. You're thinking, okay, when's their birthday? I need to make sure that I jot this down because I need to return the favor. There's a gap in the relationship that I need to make sure I fill that in. And so sometimes we take this way that we are as humans and we take that into our relationship with God. And even though we're smart enough that we know we can't earn salvation, we still sometimes feel like that we need to work for it. But we can rest in salvation. We can rest in salvation because it is a free gift. I wanna show this to you in Hebrews. And I think this is a little bit of a theological takeaway, but I think it's so crucial to grasp onto. So so go with me to Hebrews chapter four. We're, We're going back to verse two. And, and, and this is what the author of Hebrews says, for this good news that God has prepared, this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them, but it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter his rest. As for the others, God said, in my anger, I took an oath, they will never enter my place of rest. God is talking about believers entering into his rest. So there are, there are benefits that come from salvation. Now, when we think about salvation, we think of, well, that means I get to go to heaven. And that's true, but that's not complete salvation. Jesus is more, there's more benefits, there's more healing than just going to heaven when we die, which is part of salvation. But there are more to it. And sometimes we feel like we need to earn those. So When we go back to the Genesis account, in Genesis chapter one, God created the earth. He created, after each day, he said it was good. So he created the sun and the moon and the stars, and he said, it is good. He created the oceans and the seas and the dry land, and he said, it is good. He created the birds of the air and the creatures of the sea, and he said, it is good. And then on the sixth day, God created man, and he didn't say it was good. He said, it is very good. Numbers in the Bible are important. The number seven in the Bible is a number of completion. And so it was complete. So on the seventh day, what did God do? He rested. He rested because it was complete. It was very good. God basically said, this is is perfect. Now, God, did God need to rest? No, he's God. He doesn't need to rest. Why did he rest on the seventh day? To model for you and me what it looks like, that we can also rest. Now, the problem for us is we don't feel like things are very good. When we look in the mirror, we don't always say, very good. Because we think, well, I know I got some bad habits. And I know I'm struggling here. And I know I hurt this person. And I know I'm on my way and I haven't arrived yet. And so we don't think things are perfect and we can rest in that perfection. We think I'm a work in progress and I got a whole lot of flaws that I hope people don't see the cracks in me. But I have a question for you. If you have decided, made the decision to 
make Jesus your Lord and Savior. If you've made that decision, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, then when God looks at you, he doesn't see your cracks. He doesn't see your weaknesses. He doesn't see your bad habits. The blood of Jesus has taken all that away. So what does God see when he sees you? He sees the perfection of Jesus. So since he sees the perfection of Jesus, what can we do? We can rest and stop striving to achieve something that Jesus already accomplished and we can rest in salvation. God sees you, he thinks very good. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. That's Romans 8.1. So we're not always striving. We're not always working. There's not uncertainty. We're not pulled in all these different directions. We can rest in our salvation. We enter in through this, this rest by repentance. When we repent, we enter into the rest of salvation. We remain in the rest of salvation through relationship. Morning, noon, and night. Crying out to God, saying our prayers with God, looking to God. We enter through repentance when we freely receive God's gift of salvation and we remain through our daily rhythms of life. If we continually look to God, relying on his power, because you're gonna have hard days. You're gonna have hard moments, but we remain in that relationship. A rhythm that I have in my life is I work on a computer screen. And if you stare at a computer screen like I do for any amount of time, you know that you get a headache, right? And you can kind of get short and you can kind of get worked up. So one thing that I do regularly in my days is I walk outside and then on my block, there's a lot of big oak trees. And I walk around the block and I look up at the big oak trees and I thank God for creation and I recite the Psalm, uh, Psalm 23. Right? I take a deep breath. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. You make me lie down in green pastures. And all of a sudden, what do I feel? I feel God's presence with me. I feel thankful for the creation and I'm reset. Why just a few minutes before I was staring at my computer screen and I was getting a headache and I was feeling sluggish and now I'm outside and I'm walking around and I'm, and I'm connecting with God and he's strengthening my spirit for all that I have in front of me that day. I don't know what it looks like for you, but what, is it, what would it look like for you to have a rhythm of morning, noon, and night to, to build that relationship? The world says, get a Red Bull. Here's a five-hour energy, Right? Get a quick fix. What, what can you escape to? And then you can get back at it and recharge. God says, just bring it to me. Pray to me any time of day. Ask for my help. I will strengthen you. We rest in salvation. Number two, we rest by keeping a Sabbath. We rest by keeping a Sabbath. Now, God gave the Sabbath to the Jews, the, the Hebrews, the Israelites who were slaves in Egypt. And he needed to tell them, he needed to be a law that they would take a rest because what had they done every day for generations? Worked because they were slaves. They didn't know how to rest. So God made a point to say on the seventh day, you will rest. It was the law. Now today, we're not under the law. We're under the grace of Jesus. It is a new covenant. We are not required by law to take the Sabbath. But Hebrews 4, 9 tells us, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. So God is saying, it is not the law, but is it God's best for us? Is it still an offer that God has on the table for us? Well, yeah, clearly the truth of scripture is saying there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And so if you honor the Sabbath, if you bring the Sabbath into your life and practice it, God will bless it. It is his best for you. You will experience renewal. You will experience God's best for you. Now, if you're thinking, okay, there's no way that I could actually like not do anything for a whole day. You know, like my, my five-year-old Annie would say, dad, that's boring. 
That's boring. I think you're viewing Sabbath the wrong way. Sabbath should be the day that you look forward to. If you talk to someone that really celebrates and implements Sabbath of their life, they will tell you it's their favorite day of the week because they feast and they eat their best meal of the, day, the, the week. They eat good food. They spend time with their loved ones, right? Yes, they stop from producing. So they're not producing whatever their work is. They don't produce, but they eat good food. They spend time with their loved ones, right? They make a point to kind of turn off uh, electronics, right? And then kind of remove some of those distractions that can cloud our, our mind or distract us. They spend time worshiping and prayer with God and it recharges you and it replenishes you. And it should be a, a rhythm in our life, a weekly rhythm. I love what Winston Churchill said about the Sabbath. Winston Churchill said, if you work with your mind, you're a white collar worker, you should Sabbath with your hands. And if you work with your hands, you should Sabbath with your mind. So if you work on a computer most of the week, your Sabbath should be outdoors, right? Go on a, a, a hike or a bike ride or go play golf or, or do, go do something where you're being physically active. That's what Sabbath would look like to practice those rhythms. If you are very active at work and you're doing manual labor, maybe your Sabbath is you're resting, you're lounging in a chair, you're watching a movie, right? That's what Sabbath um, is designed to look like, to be your favorite day of the week. It is God's best for us. And dad's going to be preaching about Sabbath rest next Sunday. So please uh, tune in, come back, and he, and he will uh, help you. Because if we, if we apply that principle to our lives, then God will bless it. Because anytime you take God's best and bring it into your life, oh, it's, it's always better than doing things our own way. So don't miss next Sunday's message on the Sabbath. Point number three, we rest through significance. We rest through significance. Hebrews 4.11 says this, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. This verse is talking about a heavenly supreme rest. This verse is telling us to make every effort because the, 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 the imperative, the importance of this is that no one will perish. Do you see the priority of God's heart here? What's important to God is that no one will perish. And Peter tells it to us like this, right? Peter said, God is not slow in keeping his promises. He is patient. Why? Because he wants no one to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And so what is at the heart of God? God wants you to know this today. The heart of God is that no one would perish. That's what God's heart is all about, that no one would perish. That's his goal in all of this thing, that no one would perish. So if we can catch hold of that and we can apply it to our lives, that becomes significant. It's not just another Monday at work. It's we are at work and the people around us, God cares about deeply. It's not another Wednesday around the neighborhood walking the dog. It's our not neighbors. God cares about them deeply because his goal is that we, we would come together, right? What's the, the, the great commission? The great commission, right? It's that we would grab a hold of that. No one would perish and we would work for it by sharing the gospel, by making disciples wherever we are. And there is a supernatural rest attached to that significance so that even though we may be working, right, even though we may be laboring, God's Holy Spirit empowers us and strengthens us because it's at the heart of God. Significance by being a servant. Significance by being a servant. The world says the way to be significant is to strive and strive and strive and you'll never arrive. And what are you in the meantime? You're burning out because you're tired and exhausted. God says significant is by being a servant by partnering in the work that God has and by serving others. And do you, see how there's a, do you see how there's a rest that comes with being a servant that doesn't come when you're always striving? We can rest through significance knowing 
I'm on mission with God, doing the great commission, the only thing that Jesus is building on this planet, and I don't have to strive. I don't have to chase. I can rest in God's power. That's why we're always talking about taking your next step on your faith journey, to know God, to know God more, to find freedom, freedom from our past, freedom from our, our, our hangups, to discover our purpose and to, to make a difference. Because when you come to Sunday morning and you're serving, right, you're part of the mission, you are doing something significant. Nobody has to tell you, hey, you gotta get up and go to church because you know you're doing something significant. You know you're being a part of a miracle on motion. If you're leading a group or you're hosting a group, no one ever has to tell you, hey, you need to go to group night because you know that you're praying for one another, that you're making disciples and encouraging one another. There's a significance that comes to it. And it's when we keep our eyes focused on the why, that why that God has given us. We think about Jesus on the cross. How did Jesus go to the cross and be forsaken by God and be tormented and humiliated and shamed and beaten? How did he because he kept his why, which is you, and it was me. When we keep our why, no matter what we go through, it brings a purpose, it brings a significance, and it brings a, a rest, a supernatural rest that comes from God. We enter this significance, how do we do it? By attaching God's purpose to our position. So I want you to think about what your position is. Maybe you think you have a high position with a lot of authority. Maybe you think you don't have any real position. But when you attach God's purpose that no one would perish to your position of neighbor, of mom, of clerk, of engineer, when you attach God's purpose to your position, God blesses it with significance, with rest, with the Holy Spirit, and that's what he's called us to. God's purpose is always people. And the why is always that no one should perish. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, this day that you've given us. And Father, you know exactly where we are. And I just wanna take a moment to pray for anyone under the sound of my voice that may be feeling burnt out, that may feel tired, stressed, worn out, exhausted, weary. Lord, I ask that you will bring us renewal, that you will bring us strength, that you will bring us restoration. Father, that, that we would take a real rest as you have for us. Not constantly striving, not working and chasing the wind, but that we would take a real rest, that we would rest in salvation. That we would rest by doing, by, by following your plan for rest, the Sabbath, that we would rest in significance. And Father, if there's anyone here that they want to make that decision and say, I want to enter to that rest of salvation. I don't ever feel that rest. If God has more for me, then, then I want it. Because I always feel like I'm busy. I always feel like I'm tired. I don't feel like I'm in a relationship. And if you want to make that decision today to experience that real rest, to rest in salvation, that when God looks at you, he doesn't see failures. He doesn't see flaws. He doesn't see mistakes. He sees the perfection, the righteousness of Jesus. If you want that, we can do that today. It's making that decision, it's asking Jesus, and it's declaring. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's a free gift that only we can receive, we can't earn it. So if you are receiving that gift this morning, just confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Ask the Holy Spirit. Say, God, send me your Holy Spirit to strengthen me. Thank you for forgiving me. In Jesus' name.